I know I've mentioned before that um, in choosing text for us to look at on Sunday morning, I follow a schedule uh, that's been developed in the church over the centuries that basically takes you through the Bible in a nine-year cycle. And that's of great advantage to me for several reasons. Uh, one is that I don't always get to preach the text I want to preach. Sometimes I have to preach the ones I need to hear. And also another thing is that the, the texts are chosen with sensitivity to the time of the year and what's going on at this particular time of year. And I'm so glad that the church chose for us to hear Colossians chapter 3 in between Christmas and New Year's because this passage throws out a lot of challenges to us as we look ahead for a new year and what we want that year to be and as we plan for who we want to be as we go into the new year. So let's be standing as we hear this, the Word of God. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. The Word of God through the servant Paul, as he wrote to the Colossian church, but writing to us as well. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The Word of God. I shared with first service today that uh, so many songs we sing remind me of specific people. And every time I sing that song, I'm taken back about 20 years to riding in the back of a bus across Eastern Europe with a group of missionaries. And they began singing that song, and I'd never heard it before. And it always reminds me of them and uh, dear friends and uh, experiences uh, in Eastern Europe that will always be with me. And I also, it's a strange thing, I think of storks when I sing that song. The bird, stork. Because as we were driving along singing that song, I looked out the window and it was the villages of Eastern Europe we were going past. And some of the chimneys had these huge bird nests sitting on top of the chimney, which is not real good uh, for, you know, pulling smoke out of a chimney. Fortunately, it was in the summertime. But I asked about those, and those were stork nests. And um, they said that the legend was that if a stork builds a nest on top of your chimney, you're going to have a baby. I think I would get me a ladder. You know? <laughs> and it was bad luck. You couldn't go, you couldn't go and tear the, the nest up, because if the stork chose you, 
uh, to build a nest in your chimney, then you were going to have a child. And that's where all this deal about the stork bringing the babies and dropping them down the chimney comes from. Now, aren't you glad you came today and and you know that valuable information? Well, hopefully we're going to give you something more uh, important to look at than that. Uh, You know, we've got to always be looking for what we can do as Christians to grow spiritually. It doesn't take much planning for me at my age to grow physically. All it takes is for Pat to bake a chocolate pie, and I immediately grow a little bit physically. In fact, you have to plan not to grow physically after a certain time in your life. But if you want to grow spiritually, it takes effort. It takes planning. It takes thought. It takes putting into motion these things and and staying with it and letting it be something that really is on your heart. And this is a perfect time of year to begin thinking about those things and looking ahead and saying, well, next year at this time, who and what do I want to be? Do I want to basically be in the same place I am now as far as my relationship with God goes? Do I want to be basically at the same spiritual maturity level that I am now? Or do I want to move deeper into the heart of God? Do I want to have him more a part of my life? Well, if you want that to be true at the end of next year, then it's going to take right now deciding what you're going to do and how you're going to do that so that you can exercise yourself spiritually and continue to grow and develop. Now, this particular text, Paul just throws a wealth of information out at us. And we're going to spend about 15 minutes or so running through this information again. And my goal for today is that you're going to look at one of those things at least, just one of them at least, and say, that's it. That's where I really need to grow. That's where I'm really going to focus my attention over these coming months. I'm going to look and seek out ways that that I can grow in that particular spiritual grace, that particular virtue that Paul is hanging out before us in this wonderful passage that he wrote to the Colossian church. So here we go. First thing that he tells the folks there in Colossae is that a great spiritual discipline is really coming to know yourself. And what he means by that is to be introspective and really come to to grips with how you view yourself and what do you think of yourself. Because really how you think of yourself affects everything that you are and, and what you do out there and how you interrelate with other people. And as he's telling them to know yourself, he says these things. You need to remember that you are God's chosen people. You need to remember that you are holy, and you also need to remember that you are loved. Now, these are not just words to be thrown around lightly. These are words that we find in the Old Testament describing the nation of Israel, and we know how important Israel was to God and how deeply he treasured them and how he used them to bring about his plan for redemption upon this earth. So these words are the words that he specifically chose as he said, this is who you are, Israel. And then in the New Testament, these words are specifically chosen to describe Jesus, that he was the chosen one, that he is the holy one, that he is God's beloved. So when Paul says, when you think of yourself, when you look in that mirror, Who do you see? 
Well, Paul wants us to see that we are people who have been chosen and are holy and are loved. You know, to be chosen is tremendously important. You think about the times when you were a child, perhaps, and you weren't chosen. Uh, I can go back to Edwards Elementary School standing on the playground, and there were times when teams were being chosen up, and, and the guys that were choosing You know, I wasn't their buddy, and you were kind of left to the last. And you remember those times. You remember any time when you've been kind of left out. As adults, we sometimes get that feeling that I don't fit here, that I'm really not being embraced here. I'm not one of the in crowd. Well, God wants you to know that when it comes to him, you are his in crowd. He has chosen you. He wants you. And he has chosen you to be holy. Now, holy basically means special. He has chosen you for a special task. And there is something that he has for you to do that nobody else can do. Now, that to me really impacts me when I think, what is that? And that can be a year-long task of, of searching out what is it that I can do for the kingdom of God that really I'm the only one in position to do that. It could be that there's a certain person in your life that's not going to listen to anyone else but you. And they're just waiting for you to be the one that can pick them up and encourage them and to help them along. It could be that there's some particular task within God's kingdom that he has put you right here in order to do. Uh, I think it's funny. Sometimes I, uh, I get people that will mention to me, well, you know, Johnson Street isn't doing any of this. Why aren't we doing this? They don't always like my answer because I said, you know, sometimes God lays things on people's hearts when he's calling them to do it. And if you look around and see something that's not happening that you think ought to be happening, guess who he wants to make it happen? Maybe it's you. You have a special task to do. And no matter what your history is, no matter what your past is, in God's kingdom you've been made new, and He has something for you. Also that you are loved. And again, to know what it means to be loved, just think of those times when we felt unloved. And we think of all the evil in the world that comes about when people feel unloved and rejected and God wants you to know that he has embraced you enough that he sent his only son to die for you. He knows your name, and he has chosen you. You are special, and you are loved. So I encourage you this year, if you're struggling with who you are and what you are, and maybe sometimes letting negative thoughts dominate your thinking about yourself, then think of what Paul wants you to know about yourself, and Meditate on these things and see in ways that you can recognize in your own life that you truly are God's chosen, His holy ones, and you are loved. After this, Paul says, now you need to upgrade your wardrobe. Do I have an amen on that? First service, there were a lot of women that said amen on that. The men kind of went, I don't know about that. but It's true. Paul says, there are some things that you can put on. And he gives us a list here that just, wow, just one thing after another. Again, look at the list he gives us of clothes to put on and see if there's not something there that you can say, you know, 
I don't wear much of that. When I'm walking around, I don't always have that on, and I need to put more of that into my wardrobe. First thing he says is compassion. Compassion. The feelings that we have for other people, the, the, the feelings of, of, of wanting to help them and to be a positive part of their lives. It's interesting. We normally in our society think of pa- compassion coming from our heart, but uh, in Paul's uh, culture, it came from your gut. The, the word there is splagna. Uh, that's a good word for gut, isn't it? You know, the, the, down in your splagna. You know, that, that, that when you, you see a situation or you see people that are struggling, that you really care about those people. You don't just walk past them and say, well, what can I do? Now, I want to tell you something. Bob Knox was here this, uh, in early service, and I got an amen from him on this. But there are a lot of needs and a lot of needy people right here around us. And it's really built into us to be compassionate toward others. I've known very few people in my life who are not just kind of naturally compassionate whenever they really see the need and they really come to know others. So if this is something you need to work on, what you probably need to work on is meeting more people and being around more people that can really use your help. We tend to get to running in our own little circles all the time. And we associate with a rather small group of people. And that can even be true here at church. I mean, we get just sort of the ones that we are around. And if we want to be a person who puts on compassion, maybe we need to break through that. And to get out and to find those folks that, that are just hungry for someone to care and someone to show uh, the love of God to them. Moving along quickly, kindness, which is really the word graciousness which is basically treating other people with the grace that you have received from God. You know, that we are to treat others in the way that God has treated us. That God has not demanded that in order to be acceptable to Him, that we meet every criteria that He has set up. Uh, Boy, sometimes some of us, we can really get onto that. If, If someone is not a person that we really like, with some things we don't like about that person, then just blow them off and go on. Got to work on our kindness, work on the graciousness, remembering that God has not said only when you get to be perfect and only whenever you get to be exactly the kind of person that I like, then I will accept you. Then perhaps we need to work on that. If you can think in your life right now that there's a lot of people that are really getting under your skin and you spend a lot of your time thinking negative thoughts about other people, have I got a task for you this year? Put on the kindness of God. Put on the graciousness of God. Humility. Now, it's interesting that Paul puts this on his list of virtues. These are things to be put on and worn. Because if you look at the ancient philosophers of Paul's time, this was on their list of things to avoid. The same word. Isn't that interesting? And Paul puts it on his list as children of God that we're to embrace and to wear. Now, what does he mean by humility? Well, the ancient world thought humility meant that you went around thinking everybody was better than you and you were just this no good, lousy person. Paul says, no, humility means that you recognize your position in the created order and within God's kingdom. First of all, you recognize that God is God, not you, that you are not the one called to make all your decisions, that you are to be sensitive to the leading and the guiding of God, and you are to bow down before him in reverence. 
But then again, when you stand up and look around, what you're looking at are other people who are also struggling, who are also sinners, who are also forgiven by God, and you look them eye to eye. Never look down on another person. Now, there's a lot of ways that we can work on that. I remember for a while, especially, one I had read this uh, saying of a rabbi that he worked on the idea that every time he met someone, he consciously called to mind, here is one created in the image of God. And, you know, that's, that's what we can do, too. That we can recognize that humility means that we're under God's leadership and therefore we as equals and that there is no one that we can ever look down on and put down, but rather we live as fellow forgiven human beings created by the will of God as we walk through this life. Moving along quickly, meekness. Meekness means controlled strength. This is another one of the things that was put on the other list for the, the Greek philosophers. They thought meekness equaled weakness. But meekness really means someone who is really strong who can control that strength. It described Moses. It was used to describe Jesus. And that's one where we can really understand meekness is with Jesus. Jesus had the power to create the universe. And yet, whenever Jesus walked this earth as a human being, he gently touched people's lives. And he helped them with his strength. His strength was under control. His strength was something that was beneficial to others rather than running roughshod over them. I can think of a lot of times when I've run roughshod over other people. I get angry with them and I let them have it, you know. Or if I don't like something that's going on, I just can sort of barge through the room and leave everything in my wake. Well, if we're really strong people, that strength is tempered with a gentleness that strength is tempered with this meekness where it's brought under, under control where it becomes useful. One of the privileges I have is the getting to visit uh, a lot of uh, young couples that are having their children. And I go in the hospital and sometimes you walk in and there's the dad and he's this big old burly guy, you know, and everything. And, but he's holding that little girl for the first time. And those big old hands. And that's meekness where all that strength comes to bear on caring for and encouraging and nurturing and helping. It takes a strong person to control temper. It takes a strong person to marshal what power you have to make it beneficial to others. Another thing on the list is patience. We're going to skip this one because I don't need any of that. <laughs> and the bad thing about it is Paul just stays on this one. You know, it's kind of like he's found a sore spot and he just keeps pushing on it and pushing on it. You know, patience. Patience is basically the New Testament word for the Old Testament word wait. You know, don't be such a rush to write people off. Don't be in such a rush for everything to resolve in the way that you think it should resolve. Be long-suffering, being patient with others. And he goes on to say, bear with them. And now I'm glad he didn't say that uh, we just have to get used to everyone's ways and, you know, that, that eventually everyone's going to come around and do things the way that you want them done. It ain't going to happen, you know. And there's some things you just have to put up with. And that's what he says is that, that, that we need to learn that, that, that we're all individuals and that there's going to be things in other people that we don't enjoy. And we have to learn to bear with one another. And if there are things that we find that are very offensive to us, then we learn to slap those people around and say, quit it. <laughs> no to forgive. 
You know, one of the greatest callings we have as Christians, the thing that is mentioned almost as many times in the Bible as loving each other is forgiving each other. And talking about taking a lot of effort and power. Because forgiveness basically means that you decide that you're going to pay the price for other people's mistakes. You know, just like God paid the price for your mistakes. Over and over. In fact, in this passage, Paul says, you got to forgive as the Lord forgave you. That doesn't mean just because he forgave you, you have to forgive. It includes that. But you do it in the same way. That sometimes when someone has said something or someone has done something that is offensive to you, you eat it. You just swallow it. And you go on. Now, knowing when that is good and when that's not takes wisdom, but that is the calling that Paul is calling us to. And he goes on to say that that then produces the love that's like an overcoat that you put on before you go out every day. You put your love on that holds everything else together. And there a good, I think, discipline to, to practice is as you're leaving your house every day saying, I'm going out into the world to love today rather than I'm going out into the world to see who loves me. We can make that choice. So we walk out the door seeking those people to like us, to approve of us. What are they going to think of me? Or do we walk out the door saying, who can I show some love to today? Who needs to be loved? Who needs to be accepted? Who am I going to encounter today that will be blessed by the love of God that lives in my life? I've often said it, but I want to say it one more time. Sometimes we are afraid that if we give love to someone that doesn't deserve it, then it's going to be wasted. You know, it's almost like we have to have criteria. Okay, if this person is this way, this way, this way, then I will love them. Because if I give them my love and they don't appreciate it, it's just wasted. Well, go ahead and waste some of it. You know why? Because as Paul said in Romans chapter 5, I believe it's verse 5, in fact, too, that the Holy Spirit is going to keep pouring God's love into our heart. You have got an overabundant supply of love. So just throw it around, okay? It doesn't, you don't have to get people to shape up and to be who you want them to be in order for you to express some kind of love in action, in word, in deed to them. And if they waste it, so be it, because when you get back home, your cup will still be full because the Holy Spirit is pouring the love of God into your heart. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your life. That the peace of Christ is how you make your decisions. How can I be a person who brings peace into a family? How can I be a person who brings peace into a workplace? How can I be a person who brings peace into friendships and personal relationships? So that whenever I am present and when I leave, that the peace of Christ dwells more fully in that place than it did before I got there. What can I say? What can I do that promotes relational and, and emotional peace between other people. And then gratitude is in here. Paul says gratitude, gratitude, gratitude all through this passage. Be thankful, be thankful. Sing with thanksgiving. All those things. That if you're a person who's feeling like you've been neglected and you don't have what you ought to have, then maybe this year you need to work on your gratitude list. The attitude of gratitude is really a basis of all that we are in Christ Jesus. I know we've run through that very fast, but look at that list. You can find something there, can't you? There's something in that list that, that as soon as, as Paul said it, you go, oh, man. Uh, I'm not going to tell you which one, patience, that I need. <laughs> but, you know, find one and say, that's it. This year, that's it. At least for the month of January, that's going to be it. 
I'm not just going to walk out of this place and forget I heard that. I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to grow in that so that I can work myself into the salvation. You know, we talk about we're not saved by works. That's true. We're saved by Jesus Christ. But Paul tells us to work out our own salvation, to exercise ourselves, become stronger so that we can appreciate who God has made us. All right, very quickly, he also tells us that if you want to grow spiritually, you need to learn to worship well, that worship has to be a part of your life. I'm talking to the choir here. You showed up to worship. Well, show up to worship and worship well. Uh, enter into it. He says, first of all, listen, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You got to listen to the words that Jesus spoke. Listen to the words of God as they tell us who we are and what we are and what, what we're called to do. So first of all, we listen because we can't come up with things ourselves. A lot of things on that list back over there, I wouldn't have thought of myself, but I'm glad that God has said, here are some things that you should be working on. After you listen, then speak. Tell people of your faith. Maybe that's a good resolution or a good plan for this year is that you're going to share your faith more openly. And I want to tell you what people want to know about your faith. They don't necessarily want to know what Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12 says. I mean, it's important. I don't even know what that passage says. But, you know, they're not, the people aren't going around asking that question about what does Scripture say about this and what does Scripture say about that. They need to know that and they need to get to that point. But what they want to know is how your walk with God is going. How has it blessed your life? How has it changed your life? Surely you know that. Surely you can say something about what it's like to live as a child of God. So speak about that. And maybe that's what we need to do more this year is just talk more about what God is doing in our life. And then he says, and sing. It's interesting to me that when he's given all this list, he mentions singing. Um, I'm glad he didn't say sing on key. He just says sing. There's something about singing that God wants out of us. He wants us to lose ourselves in, in the praise of Him and in, in encouraging one another as well. By the way, I mentioned again first service, and I'll throw it in here too. Uh, the little phrases he says, sing, and he gives three li- a list of three different kinds of songs to sing. He says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I've kind of puzzled over that. Why didn't he just say sing, you know? But... Uh, it dawned on me that probably one of the greatest frustrations and challenges in my ministry has been adapting worship styles to what people want. You know, you have people that want this, you have people that want that. People think this is worship. Some people think that this kind of song is what we ought to be singing. Other people think that kind of song is what we ought to be singing. And it just hit me this time around that Paul had the same problem. Yay. And he's talking to the Colossians. He said, you know, all these songs are good and you need to have a wide repertoire. You need to sing those psalms that were written thousands of years ago by David and Moses and Solomon and all these guys. You need to sing those hymns, which are dense and, and very poetic songs and, 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 and songs that you have to work at a little bit to figure out what they mean and, and where they're going. And then you need to sing those spiritual songs that are just kind of really accessible and light and and lift you up and just do all of those things because that's what it means to worship well is that you can walk amongst all of those. So sing and uh, to sing in grace and and sing also to God. Finishing up, last thing. He says, if you want a good resolution, just why don't you just decide that this year you're going to do everything in the name of the Lord? You know, that whatever you're doing, you're going to let the Lord be involved in it. The verse is this, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, that's an easy thing to remember. It's something we can do. One discipline I had for a while, I carried a little cross in my pocket so that every time I reached in and got my keys, I would feel that cross. I'd think, oh, what's, oh, that's that cross. And it would remind me that wherever I'm headed now, I need to take Jesus with me. I need to make sure he's involved in whatever is going on. It's really good, especially if you're heading to do something difficult, to know that he's going to be there with you to help you. If you're going somewhere where you know that people are going to appreciate you, to make sure you give him some of that honor too, you know, that glory for what he's doing. And if you're going somewhere you shouldn't go, don't go. You know, if you're going somewhere that you don't want to take Jesus with you, don't go there. Don't do that. Whatever you're doing, Make sure that he can be involved in it and that he's welcome into your life. So I hope you found something. Four categories again. Introspection, knowing who you are, upgrading your wardrobe, that long list, worshiping well, and doing all in the name of the Lord. Okay, I'm going to give you two seconds to pick one. Got it? I hope that Paul has challenged you today, that you're not just going to go into another year without thinking ahead and saying, okay, this year I am going to grow I'm going to be someone that God says, look what my servant, my child is doing. I want to be someone that he can say, I'm so glad that they're doing this and that they're coming to love me and my people even more. And may the Lord bless you in that effort this year. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. And if you've made a promise to yourself and your your God, you know, a good thing to do, we've got some folks that will be standing around the edge here, and if you need some some prayer or counsel, it would be a good thing to do to go to them and let them pray for your new resolution and your new determination to be the person God has called you to be. Let's stand and sing.